Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little, the podcast where we talk about musicals and things that make us cry, which is musicals. I, as always, am your host, Gabriella Gazalowitz, who's my guest special friend host today. Hi, I'm Ariel S. But yes, Ariel is back from such classic hit episodes such as Pippin and The Pajama Game and also others. Ariel, what show are we doing today? We are doing South Pacific. Okay, strap in, folks. This is going to be a lot. Uh, This musical is a lot. I love this musical. It's just a lot. Let's dive in. Uh, The musical originally premiered on Broadway in 1949. It is a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. I believe it is the second Rodgers and Hammerstein musical we've done on this show. Um, It's their fifth musical. Anyway, score by Richard Rodgers, lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II, and book by a mix of Hammerstein and Joshua Logan. Joshua Logan was the director of the original production, and because he actually served in the military, military, he was sort of a consultant for Hammerstein, and they worked together, and then there was this kind of legal battle, and it's not clear who contributed what. One of these situations, um, there have only been two Broadway revivals, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit, because one was a 1955 limited production, fun fact, with Florence Henderson, like the Brady mom. Huh. As Nellie. Anyway. I can see that. And then there was a real long gap in the 2008 Broadway revival because at a certain point you're like, who wants to touch this? Bartlett Share, that too. So what, Ariel, is your relationship to the show? So this is probably one of the first shows that I had heard the entire soundtrack for. Um, And you say soundtrack in the literal sense in this case because you're talking about the TV movie soundtrack. Yes, I am, I am actually talking about the TV movie soundtrack, not the cast recording. We're not talking about either movie version. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, I've known the music for ages. I've seen the both movies. Um, PBS, God bless you, PBS, great performances, probably aired the Broadway revival on TV, so I watched that full production. This musical is fascinating for a lot of reasons. First of all, this is like the first Rodgers and Hammerstein Asian musical. They wrote three different musicals in like a time when musicals were very white about various Asian groups. And they always messed it up a little bit because they were racist because it was like the 1940s, etc. But but bless them for trying. And this is the first time they took a stab at it. And so an important thing to know about this musical is... Forgetting State Fair and Allegro, because State Fair is a movie and Allegro was a flop, this is essentially their third musical. On this podcast, we've covered Oklahoma. We have not yet covered Carousel, which was next. So basically, I think that South Pacific, if you strip away it away to its essence, is kind of the same musical as Oklahoma, but with more racial weirdness. I am actually not that familiar with Oklahoma, so I'm going to take your word for that. I will point these out <laughs> to you then. Also, I think the most important thing thing to keep in mind as we're going forward is that the war ended in 45 this musical's from 49 america was very much in its post-war period and america had different ways of dealing with the war in art already it was sort of like the oh we were the conquering hero americans and a lot of works didn't really look at nuances about what that meant 
um, there were movies like Best Year of Our Lives uh, won Best Picture at the Oscars around this time. It's a movie <laughs> about GIs returning home after the war. So I think that this musical is owed a lot of credit for taking a somewhat more, not exactly critical, but nuanced approach to what war does. Um, I should also mention that this musical is based on a book of short stories, Tales from the South Pacific by James Mishner. So starting, okay, so when we start this musical, we're already going to get a little comparison to Oklahoma. Is that one of the reasons Oklahoma was a famous musical at the time was musicals used to open with these huge, big ensemble numbers. And they said, ooh, let's start it with one guy singing a cappella, entering from off stage, and then like the orchestra comes in. And so essentially they repeated themselves here because this musical starts very small and quiet. Our first song, also our first song's in French. It's called Dites Moi. Do you speak French at all? I do not speak French, but I actually uh, looked up the translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us. I will, I will sing it quietly in an undertone and you can translate. Tell me why la vie life belle. is beautiful. Tell me why la vie est gay. life is gay. Pour Tell me why, chère mademoiselle, do you love me? Est-ce que, parce que, vous, eh. mais, mais. Who's singing these songs are these two little Polynesian-looking children in this, like, very fancy, beautiful manor home with this, like, gorgeous scenery in the background. And and we find out very quickly who the children are. We learn at the end oh, of the okay. scene. Um... So in walks Emile Lebec and Nelly Forbrush, and they are our A-plot romantic team. Okay, there's a lot of things that are... This musical makes a lot of decisions. <laughs> but when out, when you take out some of the sort of more, let's say, problematic context, um, I really like what's going on with Nelly and Emile, and I really like the way they're telling the story. Similar to Oklahoma, once again, where they insinuate that Curly and Lori have a backstory so that they can sort of jump in midway through their courtship. Nellie and Emile, even though they've only met a few weeks ago, we see them, they enter, and they've just spent a day together. They've essentially had a date. So we have this pre-established relationship, and it's this interesting part of relationship where they've already, where they know each other now, but they're still very much getting to know each other. Um, Emile has a gorgeous baritone and is usually played by an opera singer. Um... And he is a French planter on this island in the South Pacific. They're at a well, perfect part in their relationship where their conversations make for excellent exposition without feeling forced. Yes, yeah, so he is actually an expatriate of France. He had to leave. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so <laughs> this is kind of what happens as we find out yeah, about why point, he's here. <laughs> at what point in a relationship do you tell someone that you've killed a man? Yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, but so Nellie is a nurse with the American Navy because it's the war and this is an unnamed island in the South Pacific uh, where she is stationed and and there's this elite group of mostly French uh, planters and so they're sort of of the right social status to be interacting with military personnel. Right. Um, it's also forbidden at the time for the officers and and the soldiers to have relations with each other and all of the uh nurses are technically officers right 
the nurses are off limits to the to your average sailor or marine. Um, they could have relationships with officers, but Nellie is interested in Emile, and she sings like it's a quintessential I am song. She's like a Disney friggin' princess, um, and it's cockeyed optimist. That's what makes her wonderful. I love this song. I She's, love this song. I love all the songs in this show, though. Um. <laughs> all right, so let's go grading them on a curve. I still love this song. <laughs> It's a song that really well captures her voice and tells us everything we need to know about her in a short amount of time. Very positive, upbeat. So we're really like jumping from song to song to song because there's like three lines of dialogue and then an entirely different song. The song is Twin Soliloquies, which similarly I love. So the song is about Nellie and Emile each singing what they're thinking, which is interesting because it's post-Carousel and Carousel's most famous song is Soliloquy. And it's where they're both coming from. Nellie is supposed to be very young, like early 20s young. And Emil is a middle-aged man. He's probably like easily twice her age. Um, And so she's singing like, oh, like I'm this little hick from Little Rock, Arkansas. And what is he going to see in me? And he's like, she's young and full of life. So obviously I like her. I really like the way this musical treats their age gap. It addresses it and it satisfactorily talks about it and makes it okay it's not predatory but they also talk about the fact that it's a weird thing and one of the differences between them most musicals don't actually deal with ages of people like kind of you kind of get a general sense of the ages of people based on like kind of the actors that are cast in it but this one kind of goes right in your face with it and says like there's a huge age difference here you're not just perceiving this based on the cast right there are many many songs where they're just these like lush orchestration like musical breaks and not necessarily dancing numbers like numbers where two people are standing there and it's like if you're a director it's like you have to do something because you have like 30 seconds to fill it makes it so interesting to listen to. Yeah, no, it's it's gorgeous. Like, when I listen to this, I, like, never skip the overture or the ultra act because, like, so much French. Or the finale. But then, like, seriously, they ex- the, the hits just keep on coming. Too bad they will run out of songs by the second act. But um, they exchange, like, three more lines of dialogue. And then we get Some Enchanted Evening, which is must objectively be the musical's most popular song, like, legacy-wise. Yeah, for those of you who somehow do not know, um, he sings her a little song about, um, hypothetically, if you see a stranger across a crowded room and you think you like them, you should go and be with them and find them and have love. It's it's good. It's just like, the song is everywhere. So Emil and Nellie talk about what do we have in common, what don't we have in common. At one point they say that like they're both like sort of silly optimist people with a lust for life. Um... They're both also really awkward. Nellie, she's kind of this, like, awkward, like, young girl. Emil is also really awkward and people don't give him credit for it. Okay, he sings Some Enchanted Evening, which is this huge, beautiful, romantic love song. After the song, stage direction, there follow several seconds of silence, neither moves. Emil speaks. This is what he says. I am older than you. If we have children, when I die, they will be growing up. You could afford to take them back to America if you, like, think about it. That is such a weird thing to say that to a person. That is a really weird thing to say to a person. It's <laughs> like we haven't even really had started the relationship yet, and we're talking about 
when I die after our kids are born. Right. And like this is like they're, they're in like the early stages of dating. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, um, okay, I got to go. And he's like, oh, by the way, right. You want to know why I left France? I left France because I killed a man. And she's like, what? He's like, don't worry. He wasn't he wasn't a nice man. She's like, he was a bad guy. Everyone wanted him dead. All right. I guess I'll think about what you did that you insinuated that you really wanted a relationship you she's like i guess it's fine that you killed a man and he's like oh i got that big news out of the way emile maybe you have something else that you should be telling her you know maybe the thing that eventually breaks you guys well anyway yeah (laughs) he tells her this and nothing else but now we have our detemois reprise and the children come back and who are the children the children are emile's yeah Maybe you should tell her that you have two children. Like there turn there's there's all of this like racial stuff that's going to come up, but forget that. You have two children. Like I think that is relevant to her to know if you are insinuating that you want to say marry her anyway and have more children with her. Yeah. <laughs> so now we sort of have our our zoom out and we meet the chorus, the CBs. Sailors and Marines, the CBs are are specifically um the Navy Construction Battalion, CB. They are really interesting because these men are in, you know, the biggest armed conflict the world has ever seen, but none of them have seen any action yet. They've been sitting on this island, like, training and killing time and going mad. So we have this sort of image of, like, the pristine American soldier during World War II, and these guys are kind of a mess. They're bickering, they're kind of dirty, they're always getting to shenanigans. So our first, the first time we meet them is they sing Bloody Mary, which then we will also get into. Um, With no context, it's a fine song. Yeah, without the context, it's a very catchy, it's kind of like, I believe in the movie that I saw, they were singing that as they were like marching down the beach and it was just. Oh yeah, God, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. It seems silly. It seems all in good fun. Um, they're talking about Bloody Mary being uh, basically their sweetheart. But there is actually a Bloody Mary. And who is she? And why is she called Bloody Mary? So Bloody Mary is actually a person. Whom I will say the libretto identifies uh, with both the words oriental and yellow. It was 1949. Oh, oh. boy. Okay. She is a Polynesian woman on the island who's selling grass skirts. Essentially. She is low-key not only the most interesting person in the musical, but one of the most interesting people in musical theater. So she's Tonkinese, um, Tonka being a region of Vietnam. And she was working for a French planter on this island. And she was saving up her money. She hated working for the French planter because it's, you know, a problematic institution of, like, plantations where, like, the line between, like, servant and slavery and indentured servitude are probably kind of blurry. Um, And there's, like, a weird racial hierarchy. And Mary saw an opportunity when the war hit the island. Um, So she's, not only has she been like making these skirts and making and selling souvenirs to the GIs and making a lot of money and being very aggressive and learning English and getting to know them really well. um, She has been hiring away other Polynesian workers from other plantations and paying them better to help her manufacture the grass skirts and the souvenirs. 
<laughs> and the more we keep an eye on her, so this is one of the first signs of how war completely transforms for better or worse, you know, obviously, usually for worse, everything that it touches. Because the even though there's nothing, no, no battles have been fought at this place, the entire economy of the place has been turned upside down. Um, anyway, so we meet Luther Billis, who is the most classic Rodgers and Hammerstein-y comic relief. He's a CB who is also kind of an operator. He is trying to sell rival grass skirts, and he wants to get to Bali High, which is a nearby small island where the the belief is that that's where all the Polynesian people are keeping their women. You need to be an officer to borrow a boat to go to the island. So another thing that officers have access to that the average sailor does not. Um, Mary like immediately cons him out of some of his money, which is amazing. Um, Considering her English is limited, and this is something that she's probably learned in, like, I don't know, the last year or so, it's kind of great that she can work that out yeah, with I, him. I think like, she, she, she's just great. Her English is quite good. Hopefully you don't make your actor do a really offensive accent. Um, Luther Billis talks about how on this island, in addition to there being all the souvenirs he could ever want, he's obsessed, he's convinced that they have orgies on this island. Like, spoiler alert, it later turns out they do not. But what this ties into is the fact that all of the sailors are going to go mad because... There are no women they can touch. So what do they sing? What do they sing? They sing nothing like a dame. Okay, this might be my favorite song in the musical. Um... First of all, the Joshua Logan staging of this number has been used in almost every production since. The men, like, are pacing back and forth like caged animals, singing essentially about how horny they are. And it's so, like, it comes across so clearly and strongly, and it's just like a perfect piece of theater. The song's hilarious. They juxtapose, like, tenors with basses, and, like, the lyrics are amazeballs. Um, it's very, very catchy. Also, it's catchy. It's also <laughs> aggressively heterosexual, which is always a very. I'm just gonna kind of leave it at that because it's always a very interesting thing in musical theater. But yeah, all the sailors but, and marines are so aggressively straight that they're going to go crazy. Because and all there they can, are no women, and all they can do is just like look at the nurses, and there are no Polynesian women around because the Polynesian women know to stay away, except for Mary. But yeah. Mary, well, but yeah. Mary knows how to deal with them. Yeah. I think she's called Bloody Mary because she, like, stains her mouth with uh, juice from beetle nuts. Oh, my God. Would that be beetle juice? Luther Billis has a crush on Nellie. It's not really important. So the song ends, and we meet our protagonist of our B romance plot, Lieutenant Joseph Cable, which it is worth noticing in a subversion of usual musical theater tropes. It's not an A serious plot and B comedic plot. They're both serious. It's a very serious musical. They really work Luther Billis to the bone, poor guy, to try to get him to make people laugh. But, like, it's mostly just a serious musical. So, um, Cable has been sent over to this island um, for a specific purpose. Unlike all of the other people around him, the insinuation is that he's already seen action. Cable, we quickly learn, is um, a Marine who went to Princeton... And he's from this prominent uh, family in Philadelphia. The insinuation is that his father's a lawyer. Um, and he's actually looking for Emil. 
Meanwhile, Luther notices Cable and says, I need an officer that I can manipulate to get me over to Bali High. So, uh, Mary quickly introduces herself to this guy because she's, one, she's like, you're sexy. Two, he's an officer. Like, she sees him as clearly some sort of way to gain financially. And I'm just like, get it, girl. Absolutely. Um, and so she tells, she and Luther tell him about Bali High. And she says, like, trust me, you want to visit Bali High. And she sings the song Bali High, uh, which I, which according to at least Wikipedia, it was composed in like 10 minutes. They said a lot of these songs were composed in like short periods of time. But yeah, she's basically like telling him all of these wonderful things about this island. And she's like, you, you should really go there. Like, you're going to love it. Yeah, the song is beautiful. Yeah, it's helping out Luther because he wants to go to this island really badly. So he's like, this is great. Mary is going to convince him to go to this island. And then I can just come along. Cable is essentially to Billis like buzz off. But we later he sort of sings to himself. We can tell that he's actually interested. So we learn why Cable is there. He's been sent there to watch the coast to get information to the Navy about Japanese uh, military actions. Um, and he needs Emil's help because Emil is a planter whose like plantation happens to be perfectly situated for this sort of thing. And he's the most likely to know this land. So Cable and the captain who's in charge of this mission invite Nellie in because they know that Nellie has gotten kind of close with Emil. And they essentially ask her to spy on Emil. And they also realize over the course of the conversation, they know about his children, about Emil's children, and they realize it's she doesn't. And they're kind of like, wah, wah. Also, they have a really great conversation about how women love older guys. She leaves and Cable's like, ew, she likes him? I thought he's like middle-aged. And the captain's like, I'm like 50 years old and I've never been married because I've just been like, um. He's like, I've, ne I've never been hurting for women. Right. <laughs> the theme comes up multiple times. It comes up again, like Nellie says something about. Yeah, later she tells Cable, he's like, oh, is your mother weird about her date you dating an older guy? She's like, no, she says that older guys are better for women. He's like, oh. I guess this is bad news for me. It's cute. Um, so we also learn that uh, essentially this would be a suicide mission for Cable and Emil uh, to go off together and scout stuff out and communicate back to headquarters, but that it might be worth it because, like, that's kind of a brutal absolute thing about war that they're like, this might be, like, what is worth losing people over? And they're like, this could turn the tide of the war in the Pacific if the information we get is, is like, precise enough. But he doesn't present it to Emil yet. No. No. But Nellie runs into Cable and does talk about how her mom says to chill out be about Emil because she was writing to her mom about Emil and her mom's like, you don't even know this dude and he's fancy and French and like, you are neither of those things. So they have a moment of reminiscing and the, revi the Broadway revival, I believe here, has a song that was cut from the original production. So it's the only cut song that we'll really talk about, My Girl Back Home. Yeah, um, so this song was, um, I know actually from the bonus track of the soundtrack that I would listen to. So there are kind of two places where this song, I guess, could go or was talked about going. And one of them is in this location. And the other is much later. And the other, yeah, and the other is much later, which we'll talk about that location also. 
Um, but it's basically it's uh, Cable and Nellie both singing about um, kind of home life and like what they miss about home being on this island. Yeah, but it's not so much that they miss it. It's that everything feels really distant to them and almost unreal. Cable has a fiance and he sings about her in this very like, oh yeah, type of way, which I think is remarkable and tells us a lot about where he's at and also he's just like oh yeah like my dad and uncle were gonna make me a partnership in their firm and our families approve of the marriage that we're having and just it all sort of seems kind of in the heightened state of war in this exotic locale concerns like that seem very like quotidian to them i'm not sure if that's the right use of the word quotidian so uh Nellie decides for pretty much no reason that she's gonna dump Emil I think she's just like stressed out by like the thing or like spy on him and he killed a man and like he's French and old and like whatever so I think really it's just an excuse for watch that man right out of my hair before we talk about it there's another Oklahoma point of comparison here in Oklahoma there's a song many a new day which is like that I don't need a man song and like it's like it lasts for like two minutes the women yes. never commit to it. But um, it's like a good female empowerment breakup song. Yeah, this was also the song that my mom would sing in the bath to me. Because, you know, hair washing. Oh, right, because hair washing. God bless Mary Martin, who literally washed her hair on stage eight shows a week. <laughs> um, and I mean, also the context of the, the hair washing is that um, Luther brings um, Nellie hot water to wash because he knows that she likes to wash her hair with hot water yeah luther has a crush on Uh, nelly on nelly but in a classic like teen movie trope who should show up and see nelly singing the song about washing a man out of her hair emile emile which okay and he thinks it's cute but he also is like what's that song that you're singing and like later he like sings a little bit of it and it's like it is this little sort of confusing moment where it's like acknowledging that you're singing in a musical makes it a little bit confusing (laughs) like i'm like wait so what songs do they know they're singing and i guess uh detem moi also is an acknowledgement of a song that's that people are singing and same with honey bun it's like they talk about rehearsing this and then singing this song so um so yeah so nelly then does the worst spying job of all time and it still works She's just very nervously like, tell me about your political beliefs, Emil. And he's like, no, I think people should treat each other nice. She's like, interesting, interesting. Tell me more. Okay, here's another example where Emil is just great with the follow-ups. He decides to really come clean to her, not about having children, but about this time that he killed a man. He's like, back in France, he was a bully. He had the town under his thumb. I tried to, like, I stood in the town square and tried to warn people against him, and he attacked me and threatened to kill me, and I sort of accidentally killed him, and I ran. And he tells Nellie this, and then he finishes this up with, Nellie, will you marry me? Way to go. Like, <laughs> I, I know it when I get proposed to, that's how, that's how I want it done. So he sing, they sing a reprise of Some Enchanted Evening, uh, I love the beginning before the reprise where, um, born on the opposite sides of the sea, we are as different as people can be. It's true. And yet you want to marry me. I do. Anyway, and then she, she it's, I love, I love this exchange. So 
in these few sentences between the proposal and this big reprise of this kind of generic romantic number they talk about like what the obstacles are between them and why they like each other anyway and I think it's very mature for the musical to do that rather than just be like it's a musical they're in love they're gonna get married <laughs> god bless this musical of moving at this pace we have had a two song turnaround in the space of five minutes from I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair to I'm in love with a wonderful guy it's pretty remarkable whiplash at least the female chorus calls her out on it they're like you sure washed him out of your hair and then she's like hey you know what i'm in love and it's awesome i love this song i love this song you love all of this i don't love all of the songs but this song i love i love all the little metaphors about her like how she's as corny as kansas in august they're both super corny it's something they have in common She uses the word bromidic. This is also one of my favorites. And God, the thing at the end where just like everyone, she keeps building up on it, where she goes, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. It's great. Ugh. Anyway. So she and, so she and Emil just had this great moment. So we cut back to Cable and the captain asking Emil to go on the mission. And he says no, in part because he's ambivalent about the war. They can't force him because he's a civilian. And he's like, oh, you know, I fought a bully once and I had to start my life over, which is a little bit like, mm. But they're like, no, it's because it's you met Nellie. And he's like, yeah, it's because I met Nellie. I can't risk my life because I have her now. But the advantage is that Cable now has a few days off. So he's like, zoop, and he's off to Bali High, like immediately. Yep. Um, so cut to Bali High, and we have even more French in this musical. The reprise of Bali High is this Polynesian women's chorus singing the song in French because it's supposed to make it all mystical or whatevs. Luther yeah. goes off to do his weird thing, and Mary immediately grabs... Once they're, once they're on the island. Yeah, once they're on the island. And Mary immediately grabs Cable and takes him to a hut. And in the hut, there is a seventeen, roughly 17-year-old girl named Liat. Liat and Cable both speak a little bit of French as a second language. And that's how they communicate. And that's how they communicate, and they have sex. After they have sex, Cable learns that Liat is Mary's daughter. This is another really interesting Mary moment. She doesn't charge Cable for it. It's It doesn't seem. And Cable, who's this, you know, suave, swanky American who we know comes from privilege and is engaged, does what men do at war, which is immediately take advantage and that Liat is sexually exploited, and she, her mother is, even though the musical doesn't portray it that way, from like a 21st century perspective, we have to say what's going on. Liat immediately falls in love with him, and it's supposed to be this like beautiful meeting. And it's not to say that these women weren't actually falling in love with GIs during the war, but to present that as the narrative of he meets this teenager, and he immediately has sex with her, and that her response is to fall in love with him is deeply messed up and mary's really interesting because she thinks she's doing this for liat's benefit yeah she thinks that liat's going to have a better life with an american man (sighs) right so the next song here is another one of the standards okay the song is younger than springtime and it's a perfectly nice generic love song also talking about age difference Right. The age difference isn't so stark. You know, he's also in his, like, early 20s. I I read this thing where it was, oh, the idea of him falling in love with her is because he's seen so much death in the war and she's young and full of life. Whatever. 
it's a musical and they just like each other right away. He's lived kind of a lot more than she has. Yes, so Emil and Nelly, Emil is like, oh, I want someone young and smiling around. He's not attracted to Nelly just because she's young. They're actually fundamentally compatible in certain ways, being that they're super cheesy and awkward. Whereas Cable is just like, oh my God, you're like young and you're warm and you're flesh and I think I love you. And it's and to me, it reads as entirely less believable. See, I never read it as Cable as kind of like in like falling for her right away. I think he's he's seeking comfort. Sure. Like it's it's not... But Liat does fall in love in the way that, like, a 17-year-old is capable of falling in love. Yeah. Um, so we so we cut back to the main island, and Emil and Nelly have had a date. He's had all of these local French planters over, and they had a nice night. There was a mini reprise of Wonderful Guy, and then another little reprise of This Is How It Feels. They're all super corny. Wait, going back to the, like, dialogue before this song, though, um... So Nellie doesn't speak French. She's, she learned French in high school the way that, like, people today learn French or Spanish in high school. Um, so they're communicating with all of the upper-class men on this island in very broken French. Yeah, because she's adorable. Nellie's a great character. There couldn't be anything wrong with Nellie, could there be? Dum-dum-dum. Yeah, anyway, so they do reprise of a couple of songs, even of a little bit of Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair that Emile does. It's really cute. And then the penny drops. He says that he has a surprise for her. And his children come in and she's like, oh, hey, who are these kids? And he's like, they're my kids. Um, would the children have a Polynesian mother? Here's another sort of problematic thing. He meets Nellie and he says, oh, you know what? I want to marry you after barely knowing her. And it's the respectable thing to do. He never married the Polynesian woman. He never married the mother of his children. They lived together as partners. But the fact that he didn't, marry her I think even though he's supposed to be like the progressive one who's like I don't care about race I think it belies some sort of underlying like class race prejudices that he has but that's beside the point he was he was with this woman for about five years and then she died and Nellie is not bothered by the fact that he was cohabitating with someone she's mad that the woman was Polynesian so in the original book of the musical he goes their mother was Polynesian and Nellie's stunned, and she goes, colored. And they ended up cutting the line from the musical. And instead, it's just clear what Nellie is upset about. In the revival, they put back in the line. They need to make it a little bit more explicit, because it's less shocking nowadays. But Nellie yeah. just, like, she, she, she just runs off. She can't get over this. This is, this is her deal breaker. She does not even say, she's like, I'm not jealous of this woman you were with. She doesn't care that he didn't tell her he had, he had children. The musical intentionally made her this likable character so that audiences would have to really wrestle with racism more because it, in some ways it is the more interesting to do to make the racist person the nice person. Because she's from Little Rock, Arkansas in the 1940s. I mean, this is, right. when she's we think of Little she's Rock. She's never interacted with anybody this doesn't excuse the fact that she's being awful and she has a lot to redeem herself for and as she runs off Emil sings a little reprise he goes you know once you have found her never let her go curtain comes down act one finale Whew. okay like nothing starts act two of a musical like pretending like nothing was wrong like just starting the action in the middle of something else and then like as the scene progresses sort of relating back to the things that were the conflict at the end of act one 
podcast, but it has been a little bit of a time jump. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving and they're doing a little like Thanksgiving pageant performance thing. You know, to keep themselves sane while they're cooped up on this island. So here's what we learned that's important. Uh, Nellie is leading the production, but she's actually been miserable and has requested a transfer to get off the island. Um, Emil is there looking for Nellie because he has not seen her since she ran off. Cable has been to Bali High every day to see Liat. Until he came down with malaria. malaria. And he's gone kind of mad, basically. And it's a little bit creepy. And he's been in, like, bed rest, and this is the day that he's finally up and moving. Because he hasn't been to the island in so long, Mary actually brings Liat over to him. So now everyone is sort of there, so everyone's exchanging information. What we learn is that a planter wants to marry Liat, and Mary's going to essentially force her to do it because that would be a life of comfort. But this planter is a man who drinks, and Emil insinuates is a real, really bad guy, and Liat really wants to marry Cable. So essentially, in order to save her, Cable has to marry her, and Cable's obsessed with her. And and here's another interesting thing Mary does. Mary says, um... I'm rich. I saved $600 before the war. Since the war, I made $2,000. I'll give all the money to you and Liat. You won't have to work. I'll work for you. All day long, you can be together. You know, we can't take everything Mary says on face value. She has been known to be very cunning. I think she thinks that her daughter married to a white man and the status that it will afford, status is better than money. The decisions that she made are very difficult and very questionable, but I think it comes from... She's just a fascinating character. Um, and, and she's willing to basically sacrifice everything for her daughter. She's willing to sacrifice her daughter for the sake of her daughter. Yeah. Um, speaking of songs that were written real short, Happy Talk was written in about 20 minutes, composed, and it kind of shows. It's a fine song. I, I'm going to read the stage direction. Throughout the song, Liat performs what seem to be traditional gestures. The song is actually kind of like Pretty Little Picture from Funny Thing Happened on the Way of the Forum, where she's trying to convince the kids to get together, and it's just like, being married will be great! Y'all can just like hang out, and it'll be adorable. Um, Cable kind of freaks out. And not only does he say he can't marry Liat, he gives her his family's heirloom watch, and I'm not going to make a Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction joke, and says, I can't marry you. And when he says he can't marry her, Mary angrily smashes the watch and says she's going to marry the planter. So Cable sings a little reprise of Younger Than Springtime, but in the past tense, whoa. This song is kind of out of place and interrupts the flow of the action, but it's one of the last good songs in the show or one of the last songs in the show. So I'm, I love the song. It's, it's the show within a show song. Yes. The finale of the Thanksgiving pageant, and it is Honey Bun. Yes. Tell us about Honey Wait, Bun. Before that, oh, sorry. Emil shows up. Right, because Emil shows up looking for Nellie. Right, and is like, I have these flowers for her. I want to see her. Right. And and Billis is like, you like, broke her heart. Like, get out of here. But he takes the flowers. Yeah. And then Billis and Nellie perform Honey Bun. So this the show within a show starts with Nellie coming out on stage in a sailor's uniform. Iconic. Like when I, I say iconic a lot, but like when people imagine the imagery of this show, they picture a young woman dressed up like a sailor. Yes. So this is her moment. She's dressed up like a sailor. She comes out on the stage and she starts singing about this woman who's her honey bun, who she's everything 
that a woman should be. Her hair is blonde and curly. Her curls are hurly burly. Her lips are pips. I call her hips twirly and whirly. She's a cookie who can cook you till you till you're done. That's not <laughs> her physical. figure is something to applaud. Where, where she's, she's narrow, she's narrow as an arrow, and, and she's broad where a broad should be broad. Amazing. And then Billis comes out on stage. Yeah, Billis comes out in like intentionally busted drag, and it's amazing. It's great. Anyway, so after the show, Emil actually finds Nellie and confronts her, and is like okay, Nellie, what's going on? And she's straight up like, yeah, you were with a Polynesian woman. I can't marry you. She's like, it was something I was born with. And he's just like, what? Emil and Cable are talking. And Cable's like, I don't know what just happened. I can't do it. I can't marry... Liat. I can't marry Liat. And it's just like, I can't take her back to America. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, it would be totally weird. And like, my family would never accept us. So he sings, you've got to be carefully taught. So this song is kind of... In a vacuum, the song is fine. (laughs) But like in the context of the show, it's it's everything. There's a lot of controversy over this song. Um, The song is about being taught to be racist. It's that it's not something you're born with. It's something that you learn when it was doing kind of pre-Broadway runs and workshops, everyone was like, you have to get rid of this song. It's making people uncomfortable. And they were basically like, because it's making people uncomfortable, that's the reason it needs to be here. I'm going to lift this from Wikipedia and I'm going to say something really troubling this quote. Okay. So you've been warned. Two Georgia state legislators, and I will say their names because we should know their names, Senator John D. Shepard and Representative David C. Jones objected to the song, stating that though South Pacific was a fine piece of entertainment, that song, quote, contained an underlying philosophy inspired by Moscow, Red Scare type of thing, and explained intermarriage produces half-breeds and half-breeds are not conducive to the higher type of society. In the South, we have pure bloodlines and we intend to keep it that way. So in retrospect, that just absolutely proves the the need for this the need song. for the song. It, yeah, it ran on Broadway with the song in place, um, and their their goal of the song was to make people think and to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, but I mean, but the song quickly segues, and this nearly was mine as another standard. It's it's good. I just can't bring myself to be super excited about it. Um, I really like it. It's so sweet. And he's talking about what he could have had. One love to be living for. This nearly was mine. And at the end of this song, he says, you know what? I'm just going to go on the mission with you, even though it might be a death mission. Emil, you have children. One love to be living for? I'm sorry your girlfriend was racist, but you have at least two lives to be living for other than your own. And they are both like... 10 years old and adorable and sing in French. He like forgets he has children. Yeah. Stay alive for your children. Uh, like but plot. Anyway, so uh they overhear and they run off to like, you know, get the mission started and talk to the captain. Luther Billis overhears them and follows them. We later learn pretty much out of boredom. Okay. Now's where things slow down. I really hope 
that y'all like a bunch of people sitting in a room talking about war because that's going to be like the next several minutes of this show yeah we're kind of done with songs for now all right so let's let's hear about what happens here's the important things we learn in a sequence of different scenes that take place over the course of a couple of weeks um partly with a with emil radioing in updates about him and cable one it turns out that bill is stowed away on the plane that was delivering Emil and Cable to the beginning of their mission. And he like half jumped, half fell out of the plane. And not only did he somehow survive, but it accidentally created an amazing diversion that like, that was the only reason that Cable and Emil sort of are able to start what they're doing undetected. So Nellie uh, has been going crazy. Uh, she wants to talk to Emil. She goes to his home. She talks to his children. No one knows where she are. She starts hearing bits and pieces about what's going on. And she figures out that Emil is on the mission. While she is there talking with the superior officers about this, Emil radios in that Cable has died. Radio transmission gets cut get off and we don't know what happens to Emil and it seems very dire. Well, he talks about incoming right. plane, Japanese planes, and then the radio kind of gets cut off. Not only is the B-romantic plot not a comedy, they killed off half of the couple. Um, yeah. it's I actually like how they do it. I like that they don't, like, give him a death scene. It almost kind of makes it hit harder. I don't want to say, on the one hand, this sort of makes a non-issue, like, what's going to happen with him and Leah, but I don't think that's why they killed him. Because you can't, you can't have, like, a big piece of culture about war and have no casualties. I, yeah, I think this was to pull everyone kind of back into the, like, no, this is serious shit now. Um, and it's weird because Nellie is leaving, is leaving this uh, meeting realizing that her, her lover might be dead and that her friend is dead. And the chorus is singing uh, part of I'm in love with a wonderful guy. And, like, the dissonance there is so jarring. Um, and anyway, she goes to the beach and she kind of sits down alone and she sings a little reprise of Some Enchanted Evening and essentially she says, like, I've learned my lesson, Emil, don't die. Um, and just then, Mary and Liat show up and Mary says, I know I said, like, you know, screw you, Cable, but Liat will refuse to marry anyone but him. And Nellie's like, oh no. And she, like, embraces Liat and the scene ends. And that's the last we see of her or Mary. So, okay, the, Billis wants to try to rescue Emil for Nellie because he has a crush on her and it's not going to work. But so speaking of things that aren't resolved, when we meet the the sailors and the Marines and the CBs, they're waiting. And they're going, you know, they're going nuts about, like, you know, girls and stuff because they are just sitting there and waiting. And now their time has arrived and it's time for them to actually see action. And they mobilize and that's just the last we see of them. And what the Broadway revival did, I once got into an argument with someone who told me that they thought it was a stupid thing the revival did. I almost started crying at this part in the revival. When they're leaving the stage, they're like quietly in an undertone singing reprise of Honey Bun. Yeah. And it gives me the chills no, every it's... time. Because it's a sort of sense of like this vivid cast of characters, they're actually walking off into uncertainty and that that what they're thinking of in their head is sort of this like simpler time so the island is pretty much empty now there's still a hospital on the island and Nellie's assignment is to stay on the island yeah so okay she just kind of like 
moves into Emil's home and adopts his children. Is no one going to stop her? Like the last scene is Nellie's all alone now, essentially, except not quite. And she's just kind of hanging out with Emil's children. We've never said that their names are Nagana and Jerome. And she's just kind of like, I'm your mom now. And they decide, they say, oh, let's sing Dita Moi again together. And they're singing it together. Nellie and the children are leading her through her because the French is, her French is so bad. And in walks Emil and he finishes the song and the kids are so excited to see their father because it's been weeks and they jump up and they embrace him. I'm having a moment, okay. And he and Nellie just kind of like hold hands and sit down together and like the four of them are a family and that's the end and of the like, musical. Yeah. So like Oklahoma was like, we're going to have a quiet start, but they have a big finish. The end of the musical is like Oklahoma, okay. And this musical, which is a war musical, not only starts really quietly and poignantly, it ends that way. Not only is it just quiet and, and they're together, it's like the island's quiet. The yeah. island is back to kind of its status quo. Oh, yeah. Um, this anyway. was a lot. <laughs> so the show was a huge success. It was so huge with financial success. James Michener um, was, got 1% of the revenue. And it did so well that 1% of that was enough for him to retire from his uh, job and just become a writer the rest of his life. Um, so it was in the fourth annual Tony Awards. Um, it won Best Musical. Best Producers was a separate award at the time. It's the only musical to win all four acting awards. To this day, this is the only one that has ever won. Yes. Um, Ezio Pinza, I think that's how you say his name, um, was Best Actor. He's Emil. Mary Martin was Best Actress. She's Nellie. Um, and then the featured actors were Myron McCormick, who played Luther Billis, and Juanita Hall, who played Bloody Mary. Um, it got director, and it got libretto, and it got score. Yes. What did you pick for your least favorite lyric? Okay, I don't have least favorite lyrics for this show. They are all amazing. Great. That's great because now I won't feel as bad going off. So the one that I picked is from You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. And it's You've Got to Be Taught to Be Afraid of People Whose Eyes Are Oddly Made. It has not aged well considering that is a song about racism. I know that you could argue that it is the context of Cable referring, but it really sounds like they're saying, like, don't dislike people who are different just because they're weird looking and therefore still othering the people that the characters are racist about. I was considering that, but I was like, I can't because it's it's so in tune with who these characters are. Okay, so the there are two more lyrics worth mentioning, and I defer here to Mr. Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim was a protege of Hammerstein, and he has a couple examples of Hammerstein lyrics that he hates, and they are both from this musical. One of these lyrics in Younger Than Springtime. I touch your hand and my arms grow strong like a pair of birds that burst with song. The other one is uh, from Cockeyed Optimist. When the sky is a bright canary yellow, I forget every cloud I've ever seen. Sondheim has lovingly pointed out that the sky on a nice day is actually blue, and when the sky is yellow, it means it's a hurricane. What did you do for favorite lyric? Because I had such a difficult time. I really did too. I went with something from Cockeyed Optimist. Okay. 
so they call me a cockeyed optimist, immature, and incurably green. It sums up Nelly so much, and that's in the first verse of the song. Um, I almost went with something from my girl back home, but I am going to settle with my favorite lyric with a line from There Is Nothing Like a Dame. So they're talking about all the things they have, you know, we get packages from home, we get movies, we get shows, we get speeches from our skipper, and advice from Tokyo Rose, which is nice historical reference. We get letters doused with perfume, we get dizzy from the smell, and here it is. What don't we get? You know damn well. (laughs) Not only is that a really great, seamless, like, elegant, dirty joke, but the follow-up lyric is, we have nothing to put on a clean white suit for, so it slightly sanitizes the dirty joke. So when they're talking about the things they have, like the things that they get being like all of these different uses the form get, we get letters, we get dizzy, what don't we get? I just, I just adore it. <laughs> uh, but Ariel, thank you for slugging through it with me. Anywhere on social media you want people to find you? Okay, nope. cool. What we need is what there ain't no substance. Thanks for listening to Pick a Little Talk a Little. We're online at paltalpodcast.weebly.com. We're on Facebook at Pick a Little Talk a Little and Twitter at Paltal Podcast. As always, we are edited and produced by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. She's at Twitter as WTFRJK. I am your host, Gabriella Gazelowitz. You can find me on Twitter, Gabby Gazelowitz, G-A-B-Y-G-E-S-E-L-O-W-I-T-Z. Easy. Please rate us and review us. It really would mean a lot. Email us, paltelpodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hi. All right, thanks. And until next time. And as they say in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, that boy who couldn't tell a lie, two terms, and then he said goodbye. There is nothing like a day. Nothing in the world. There is nothing you can name. So his preferred version of the lyric is something like, when the sky is a bright canary yellow, you had better start looking for a storm cellar. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, so that line was actually... Right, it was going to be the the title of a different song. It was going to be another song that eventually kind of got merged into um, Cockeyed Optimus. Right, so it could have been even worse, Steve. Be grateful. Yeah. Um... This musical was really famous because it had damn in it a lot. So it was like, ooh.